the dry conditions have definitely created a few issues and there's been more livestock available, um, in particular out of the southern end of the state. We have been focusing on getting numbers through our plant, basically. So in the south there's been a lot of mutton available, so we've upped our our uh, kill capacity to to take those extra numbers just to get on top of the backlog. So, for instance, this time last year we were doing about 7,500 units per week and now last week, for instance, we did 15,500. So we've basically doubled production, which has helped keep on top of the extra numbers that are available and, and get those surplus sheep off the farm as quick as possible for the farmers. So, um, you know, we're out to about a week to 10 days waiting time on mutton at the moment, which is yeah, just nice, really. And the investment that you've made in additional infrastructure here, has that helped to keep up with that demand? Yeah, 100%. You know, we've put a, a lot of... We've expanded our, our slaughter floor and boning room and we've put a few new machines in that have, have taken the workload off, off our employees, made the job a little bit easier and helped us be able to, um, I guess, speed up the chain and get more through per day, which is resulting in more numbers for the week. And, yeah, it's working really well at the moment. How do you envisage November to play out then, given how busy October has been? There might be low mid-November, just before we start to see the ewes, um, the cull ewes coming forward. Um, but from then on, it, it'll be very busy and there's going to be a lot of, lot of numbers around. So... We're just trying to focus on keeping on top of them now so when the big flush does come, we can hopefully um, handle those extra numbers. So what's your kill space looking like, you know, December, January, February? Are you booked up until that point? Um, we've got bookings up up around those dates, but we've still got plenty of space. But, yeah, I guess um, for our guys that, that send us, you know, mutton, for instance, at the same time every year, it'd probably pay to ring up our buyers and and pencil them in so you get the kill space. I'm reasonably confident that we can sort of keep keep up with the extra numbers. So, um, yeah, once we get through a few mutton, we'll focus more on, on the extra trade lambs as well. So we've got a little few more things to do in our boning room. So by the time that season really starts in, I guess, December, January, we'll be, have a more capacity for those heavier, better in you know 24 or 5 kilo lambs so um, we're doing a bit of everything which would be good. Are you finding a home for all this additional product? Yeah we are. Um, the market came back um, significantly compared to last year there's no doubt about that but I think the demand for quality product is definitely still there. Um, it's obviously at a lower price at the moment but the demand's there and, and if um, the stock's presented well and with good finish, we'll definitely be able to continue to sell it. And we're, we're seeing with our customers at the moment, um, while things are a little bit harder to sell, um, having that quality product and that good reputation has made it a lot easier for us to sell the product, basically. Because so. we are seeing the supermarkets adjusting their prices at a retail level, that there's been such a huge discrepancy between what farmers were getting and what customers were buying. Have you had to adjust your prices accordingly? Yeah, uh, 100%. Basically, if you want to sell the meat, you've, you've got to have a quality product, but the price, the price is back. So hopefully, 
you know, we, we get the next 12 months out of the way and, and clear a few numbers. There's record numbers being processed Australia-wide at the moment. Um, hopefully we can clear a few of those numbers out and then um, the price will naturally come back up to a better level for the farmers and us. You're hoping to shift more stock into the US market? Yeah, the US market's proving to be um, a really important one for us. So we've got, you know, all of well, most of our lamb that goes to our boning room, our heavier lamb, will end up in the US. And having that market's been able to help us sort of hold up our prices um, at the farm gate for the last, you know, since we've had it last three or four months, we've found that we've been able to hold our prices up at a higher level and, um, and pay the farmers, you know, um, a better price in the end of the day. So it's without those extra markets, we'd be really struggling, I reckon. So you're about to send a, a 40-foot container over to the east coast of the US and I guess, you know, you, you'd be targeting the, the, the higher-end markets around, uh, you know, states like New York. Yeah, so our um, container's due to arrive any day this week now. Yeah, we've had, had the guys over here from the US and show them around a few of our farms and things like that and they're really happy with the paddock-to-plate story. They love the product so they're just waiting to get it there so they can show it off. There has been opposition from farmers in the US, though, to Australian and New Zealand lamb, with a, a group of farmers putting up a petition to, to slow down imports. Does that concern you? Not really. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, we're not a huge company, so I think the customers that we're working with at the moment are after more of a niche product. We're not trying to compete with all the the bigger companies you know we just want to get that solid base and those people that are willing to pay a premium um, which we think we've found and so we can have a long-term relationship with those guys and then flow on that with our farmers and and work on forward contracts and things like that. So the, the work that's been going on behind the scenes to pick up these extra markets, that's obviously been recognised by uh, the Tasmanian government. You've recently picked up Tasmanian Exporter of the Year. Yeah, yeah, and no, I was um, I'm really happy with that. Now we get to go to Canberra at the end of the month and go in the Australian competition, so interesting to see how we go there, but we're yeah very proud to, to get the award. I think it's a, a huge team effort to win the award you know we've got a good young enthusiastic management team here and I think our culture is um, really good which yeah really helps with these sorts of things so I guess um, it's a yeah it's a team effort and everyone's played their part. Jake Oliver from Taz Quality Meats at Cressy talking there to Larissa Smith about the increase in production and the export market for lamb and mutton, especially to the US. And speaking of America, it turns out they love Tasmanian beef as well, meaning some producers here can keep those premium prices even while the market is in a slump. Greenham sends 70% of its meat to America, where it stands out from those massive feedlots you see in the States. Thousands of animals confined to pens, which often doesn't go down so well with the general public. Meg Powell ran into Jess Laughlin from Greenham's at a beef growers meeting yesterday at Olverston and spoke to her about the company. 
Yes, so the US is a key customer for our natural beef programs. Uh, they have been for a long time. We saw a real evolution in the US in the early 2000s with a consumer starting to seek natural alternatives, um, being a production system that was a little different to the one they see at home. You know, where the US is very good at long fed grain given their climate. Um, you know, they have very cold, harsh winters. So feeding cattle on pasture year round is something that is difficult to do across the country. However, a consumer who may not necessarily understand that, you know, they see animals in, in confinement and um, they, they're seeking a natural alternative. You know, they have images of animals roaming free and that's something that is really well aligned with our Australian production system, right? We do that very well here and as we saw consumers in America starting to go from that, I want to know it's grass-fed to then wanting to see verification as more and more claims and more confusion hit the market in you know the early 2010s, the programs became a lot more sophisticated and there started to be industry-agreed definitions around, well, what does grass-fed mean and those sorts of things. Something you showed today was regenerative beef hot dogs, which I have never seen before in my life, and regenerative bone broth as well. These are new products? Yeah, so they're new products. Uh, both those products I showed were in the US, um, both for sale in your Whole Foods, so your natural supermarkets in the US. We tend to find with those sort of claims and um, particularly awareness around alternative claims or systems, the US often moves in that sort of space first before Australia anyhow. And, you know, your Whole Foods is often a great place to go and see, well, what's what's sort of coming next and where are people going? We're seeing this really progress in the US and you've got a very different farming system. So to them, this regenerative animal, this animal that moves through, you know, pastures, that a farming system that farms in a way that's promoting biodiversity, that's got these beautiful, healthy waterways, like that doesn't seem strange to a Tasmanian at all. You know, it's, it seems just how you farm and how, how you manage the land and the environment and everything else you want to pass on to the next generation. But it's a very different concept. This makes for a very premium product, and we all know that Tasmanian beef is is a very premium product. America's feeling the squeeze of the cost of living, I guess, as much as anywhere else. Are they still paying for it? And Australians still paying for it? Yeah, so definitely beef in general can be seen as a bit of a luxury item these days, particularly in Western countries. We've got to remember we have very different farming systems and very different markets that we access right around the globe. The environment that we farm in here has a beautiful story and, and marketing story. And, you know, when we talk about the customers and things that we sell to overseas, and when you talk about your Whole Foods and those sort of things, equivalent to, say, a Harris Farm here in Australia, right? You've got a consumer walking in who maybe is not as affected by your cost of living, right? They've got a bit more disposable income. They're going into a premium supermarket and they're willing to pay for a product that aligns with their values. For us and for what we try and do with our premium brands is to really target those consumers because we're lucky in the in the area that we live within and this type of cattle that we have. We produce an animal that tastes beautiful and eats really well that we can really attract those premium markets and those consumers who are a little less price sensitive. So that's really what we try and do and, and try and do it in a way too that we're getting premiums for products all across the carcass too. So, you know, the bone broth that you mentioned or whether it be the hide for leather production, really looking at those premium products and brands that, you know, a, a consumer 
who just wants to feel good about what they're buying is, is trying to purchase. And I suppose on the flip side, as we heard someone ask today, uh, is there enough incentive at the farmer end of things to jump through? There's a lot of hoops and a lot of things to jump through to be certified with the Greenham system in particular, but as regenerative farmers or whatever. Our Never Ever program, the sustainability standard, very similar, right? So the, the sustainability standard will be an add-on to the Never Ever program. It will be audited with the existing Never Ever audit, so it's not an additional audit. Um, Greenham cover the cost of all audits, so there's no cost to be involved. Um, from a farm perspective but when you look at any program standards you know whether it be never ever a sustainability or something else it looks like there's a lot in there right it's asking you to do a lot what we need to remember is a lot of this is heavily aligned to how our farmers are already farming when we talk about the claims that we make on pack you know um one in the u.s is vegetarian fed now feeding uh, animal byproducts to, to cattle it's not it's against the law here in australia but if it's not in the standards you can't make that claim overseas you know, likewise, a lot of what's in the first tier of our sustainability standard is actually already legislation. So what we're doing really is just putting it in standards to really confirm to the customer that this is happening on every farm and we've audited it. But then if there are gaps between, you know, what, what that legislation or, or requirement is or even the guidelines um, and what's happening on farm, then we can understand why and provide farmers with the support to meet that. As you move up through the tiers and you start to look at your market needs or your long-term industry goals, um, there may be a little more to do. But what we've found in a lot of the farms, again, is we've gone out and most of the things they're already doing in some way. Maybe it's an extra record or two. Maybe there's another test to take, another soil test or something. But in most businesses, it's actually not a lot. So the challenge for us when you present these standards is to go, okay, how do we actually start with what's the farm doing now? and create some focus so that it's not so overwhelming so that we can then say okay well based on what you've just told us you're already doing here's the handful of things that you may need to implement such as records and those sorts of things to meet this new market and access a new opportunity and you know gain all these resources and things um, and benchmark yourself on you know where where the industry may be heading or, or where the market or consumers may be evolving as well. Jess Laughlin, Livestock Supply Chain Manager for Greenham's talking at a Beef Producer Update Day at Ulverston, talking there to Meg Powell about the important US market for Tasmanian beef.